I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Her dad taught her how to swim at the age of four after she fell in the pool and dolphin kicked her way to the surface. Or maybe that was her twin sister. Even her dad isn't sure who actually fell in that day. But from that moment on, the pool became her passion and her way of life. In college, Camille Adams became a two-time NCAA champion, seven-time NCAA All-American, and made her first Olympic team. After graduation, she went on to swim professionally. She won gold at the 2014 Pan Pacific Championships and a silver at the 2015 World Championships before making her second Olympic team. Camille gets super real in our conversation today and walks us through a really difficult time dealing with post-Olympic depression. She shares what that experience was like and how she prepared for it the second time around. We also talk about the importance of growing your tribe and how certain lessons she learned kept coming back to her when she needed them the most and how she incorporated her love of swimming into her life outside of competition. But before we get into this really fun episode, please take a minute to subscribe and give us a five-star review. It means so much to me personally, but it also helps us to keep bringing on these amazing guests. And as my gift to you for listening today, I have a freebie that contains five smart strategies for confidence. To snag it, just go on over to laurawilkinson.com slash learn. All right. I believe that there is gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Camille Adams, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I am super excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I'm so excited. Hey, I have to ask, was the first time we met in London at that USA house? It probably was. Um, so obviously, background with your husband, he coached me like growing up, probably when I was like, oh my gosh, 10 or 12. <laughs> so I've known Eric for years. So I've always known about you, you know, obviously, but I guess probably the first time like formally meeting was in 2012, probably at USA house. Yeah, that's what because I because he I would always talk about you. So I feel like I know these people that he always talks about. But then I think that was yeah the first time we met. And that was so cool. Like, tell tell our audience a little bit about what the USA house is because it's at every Olympics. Yeah. So the USA house is a place where you can go and meet your family. So it's kind of like a safe spot. So, um, it was an easy, it usually is an easy place for Olympians to like meet up with their family, have a good meal, have like P and G had, you know, all the hair services, makeup services you could possibly <laughs> imagine there. And it was, you know, all free for your family too. And so it was just, it's a cool spot to just kind of like meet up. And then it's also a good, like safe place. Um, so you're not in like the middle of London or Rio or whatever. <laughs> um, trying to meet up with your family and find them. So it's usually a really central location that's easy for everybody to get to. And you can just like hang out and media is usually not in there. So it's just a nice like place to just relax in the mm-hmm. midst of an Olympic Games and all the crazy that comes with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's that's a perfect description. I know a lot of people don't know about these behind the scenes type things. So it's kind of cool that, that they give us these resources for the athletes to relax and also to help the families out that are in from, you know, across the ocean too. And they give some, some resources there as well. And they can meet other families of athletes too, which I, my family always loves hanging out there because they get to meet other people's family and then they find other athletes to cheer for. <laughs> so that's always yes, fun. <laughs> absolutely. Right. And other sports too, mm-hmm. you know, which is, is also really cool. Exactly. Now, okay. I love hearing about how our guests kind of first found their sports. So tell us a little bit about your early start into swimming. Oh my gosh. So you'll hear me reference we a lot when I talk about my early swimming career. So I have a twin sister and we have pretty much done everything together up until she retired from the sport. So I talk a lot about we. So we grew up, um, my twin sister, her name's Ashley, and we um, grew up swimming with my dad. So my dad was and still is a swim coach. So he, my mom would send us to the pool with my dad just need a break, obviously two twins, <laughs> you know, would just need a break from, from the kids. And so she would send us to the pool with my dad. And, um, one of us fell in one day, my dad can't ever remember who it was. And we just pushed off the bottom and did dolphin kicks back up to the surface. Like we had been watching all the big kids do, you know? <laughs> and he was like, Oh, I should probably get these girls in some lessons. And so we started swimming when we were four, had our first swim meet, um, right around our fifth birthday. And I've actually never played another sport. So as you know, like most other Olympians, have done other things and 
I never was interested to do anything else. Really, no interest at all. None. I did the church choir, and you really don't want to hear me sing. So, <laughs> other than that, <laughs> yeah, my sister and I—we only swam. We just loved it. I think it was something a really unique bond with my dad as well, and mm. um, it was just—it was cool. It was all in the family. My mom was obviously like, like the best swim mom you could ever imagine, and drove us all over. I'm from Houston. So drove us all over Houston for practice and meets and all the things. And actually worked part-time at a swim store, like a swim retail oh, wow. store where they sell like caps and goggles and things like that. And she actually still works there, you know, um, seasonally. I mean, literally like the whole family is, is around the swim world in some way, shape or form. Right. And we still all are, which is really cool. A family affair for sure. Well, were you and Ashley ever like competitive or how, how does that dynamic work with twins? Cause I know a couple sets of twins and they all have very different dynamics. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. It's so different. Cause we both were distance swimmers. My family, people always ask me like, why didn't you swim like the 200 freestyle? Um, like that's kind of like I don't want to say the easiest shot to making the team, but it takes six spots. And it's not like the 50 or the 100 where, like, if you mess up on one thing, like, you're out. Like, the 200 is just a safer bet. Or, like, why don't you do, like, the 50 free or, you know, different things like that. But my parents were bang for your buck kind of people. So you pay the same amount of money if you swam the mile or if you swam the 50 freestyle. And so we tended more to swim the mile. And so we both swam <laughs> distance events. So the mile, 400 IM, 500 freestyle, 1,800, 200 butterfly, 200 backstroke. Yeah. All of the bang for your buck type events. And we both did. So, I mean, she swam IM, but really preferred distance freestyle. The mile was her favorite event, even the 1,000 was just a little too short for her. Oh, wow. Crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. So she loved, loved distance freestyle. And me, I mean, I enjoyed distance, but really, the, obviously, the Turner Butterfly is my my baby race is what I call it. It's It was my bread and butter, and it's what I really enjoyed doing. I also swam 400 IM and 500 freestyle. In college, you swim three events. Um, is it like that for diving? Do you, do you mostly do, like, three different dives? No, diving, yep. you have to do it all, right? Well, it, like, I mean, in everything, like, all the dual meets is just springboard. And then when you get to conference, there's usually platform events. Um, and if I like at the zone meet, we have to qualify through a zone meet. And so if you make it in one event, as long as you compete all of them at zones, you can go on all three. So even springboard divers will like learn a baby five meter list or something just so they can compete and try to get points. Uh, makes sense, but still three, right? Yeah. Still get kind of like, yeah. Yeah. So that's how it is. So in college, I swam, you know, 400 AM, 500 freestyle and then two butterfly. So we did did go back and forth, I guess, on the competitive side. Ashley really swam for the friends. Like she still to this day is like, I swam because <laughs> I loved my friends and it was like social hour. The um, social swimmer. I like it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like social kick is Ashley's jam. Um, <laughs> whereas I am still, and have always been, and will always be super competitive. And I loved like the workout and the endorphins and competition. And Ashley was just like at the swim meet to get the fun dip at the end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so the balance between those two, I think was, is fun. Ashley, you know, I think if she would have made an Olympic team, obviously it would have been like great for her. And Ashley was a really good swimmer. She was like 13th in NCAAs and made Olympic trials and was an amazing swimmer as well. So definitely, definitely don't want to say she stayed in that fun group, fun dip category um, forever, but she was really, really talented too. And um, she, we actually both swam at A&M together. And she swam our first two years there and then decided after I made the first my first Olympic team in 2012 that she just wanted to hang the suit up and take a little break. And so that's where our journeys kind of split and we started doing different things. Well, what kind of, what was that recruiting process like? I mean, with the two of you, I mean, were you wanting to go to the same school or were you guys like, we need a break from each other or how did that play out? Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. <laughs> so we, I wanted obviously to go to powerhouse swimming school. I um, wanted to get a great education as well, but really wanted to go somewhere where I was going to get better at my, at my sport. And so I looked now at four schools, all in the SEC and, um, Ashley looked at small like Bible colleges. She thought she wanted to study theology and wow. um, go on that route. And so AM was like begging her to take a trip. Like Steve at AM was like, please, Ashley, please just like give us a chance. So she's like, fine, I'll just come the same weekend Camille's coming. So she took, I think she, she took four recruiting trips as well. You get five trips, but I think we both only, I only took four. I think she only took four as well. And um, 
she ended up loving it. So I remember we, through this process, we decided that we wanted to do it individually. Like I said before, like we literally had done our entire lives together and we knew this was just a really big decision for both of us and didn't want to influence each other. And so we both decided like, we'll make our decision separately. And by like October 15th or whatever the date was, we're going to have a decision made. We're both big on deadlines. So, um, (laughs) you know, have a decision made and that type A in both of us. And so we were driving to practice that day and I hadn't seen her all day because our schedules at school were kind of crazy. And I remember being like, okay, like we're on the count of three, like tell me where you're going to go to school. And we were like, okay, one, two, three. And we both said Texas A&M. And I remember we pulled, we were driving to practice and we pulled over and we called Steve and Tracy Dukak, who was, is now at Stanford, but was at A&M then. And we called both of them. We were like, we're both going to come to A&M. And they were so excited with we the practice, <laughs> like basically just had a party at practice, like didn't really do much swimming that day. Everybody was like so excited for us. And we get home and my parents are like, do you guys have something to tell us? And we're like, no. <laughs> and they were like, oh, Steve from a called. And we were you like, told oh, everyone gosh. else. We told everybody else that forgot to tell mom and dad. So if you're going to the college recruiting process, you know, don't forget to call home. Um, <laughs> but it was, I mean, it was like unanimous. We were, we absolutely loved Steve and loved the program and um, loved everything like a stands for and stood for then. And we both just felt like we were going to get the best education that we could possibly get there. And actually ended up majoring in um, communication and journalism and she's now an English teacher. And then, um, so it worked out perfect for her. And then I was an education major. And so we both were able to do exactly what we wanted to do and still be, um, you know, get great training with Steve and then Tracy then, and then now Tanika Jameson, that's there. So it was just a really cool and unique experience for us to go through the four years of school together. That is really cool. And I, and I love Steve. I mean, he's been there since I was back in school at UT, you know, and we would always have meets with them and, and I still go up there and train sometimes. And he's always just so kind and welcoming. And Tanika was on the team. We kind of had a little overlap in there at UT, but uh, yeah, so it's good people. Even though we used to be big competitors, I still love the people at A&M. <laughs> That's just my world. Yeah. I tell people all the time, like, I think I learned more about the person that I want to be from Steve than the, like the swimmer I wanted to be. Um, he is the most kind, humble. He believes in like listening before he speaks. And he is just one of, I think the world's most brilliant people I've ever, I've ever encountered. And he did truly change my life. And then, you know, with Tanika, she's actually become just like a really good friend. Um, it was cool to train with her because she had been through the professional swimming world a little bit and, kind of knew what to expect and she knew what that transition was going to be like for me going from college swimming to professional swimming and it was just advice and mentorship that I wouldn't trade for anything and um, it was just a really fun experience for me um, to get to swim under both of them and I'm super super grateful for it. That's so cool. And I think that's a great reminder of like the importance of the people you surround yourself with that you're, you know, coaches, but like, like you said, kind of just people in that mentor role too. It's really important to have people like speaking this stuff into your life and not just blowing smoke all the time, but like teaching you the ropes and, and how to like grow up in the process. Cause it's not, you know, when it comes down to it, sports isn't just about sports. Like you're growing up as a person in that process. And that's really important to have good people like that around you. Right. So important. I talk a lot, like when I talk to kids about like growing your tribe and knowing who you need to speak to and who's going to speak that truth into you in the right moments that you're going to need it when it's difficult, you know, when it's not always easy. I remember Steve, my senior year, I didn't go a time I wanted to at NCAAs or SECs or something. And I probably stayed in the pool a little longer than I should have, or got out quicker than I should have, or something at the end of the race. And I remember right after Steve, like, was like, Hey, Cam, like, let's chat. And he like sat me down on the bench and he was like, you're going to be looking for sponsorship soon. And they're not going to want to see that attitude. If you win, if you lose, if you go the time, if you don't go the time, you got to smile and then we can deal with it on the back end. And it was just a really good, like life lesson for me. I think when disappointment does come your way, you know, to, to process through it. And sometimes you just got to fake it till you make it (laughs) and until it's the appropriate time. And, um, things like that, I just learned from him and, and I still so value everything he says. I just am like a sponge when I'm around him and Tanika too. It's just a really, they're a really cool pair as well. Very different. (laughs) 
very well together. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Well, to backtrack just a little bit. So, I mean, we talked earlier, like my husband, you know, coached you for a little bit. Like he he likes to claim, he goes, I know it was just a small portion of her time, but I I like to claim Claim her as one of my my swimmers. It takes a village. (laughs) But so, okay. So he's a swim coach and he has a question for you. So he wants to know about your unique fly stroke. It's kind of like Olympic gold medalist Melvin Stewart, you know, and to clarify for the non-swimmers listening, you breathe to the side, which is really unusual because a person normally swimming butterfly breathes to the front. So is that something you did naturally or did you intentionally try to do it? And did you get flack for doing it? Did people try to change it? Yeah. Great question. So I, um, growing up, I was always a front breather when I was like 12 or 13, I had a coach and, um, in butterfly, you want to breathe early in the stroke. So you want to breathe right as your fingertips start moving. And my breath was always when my, it was always late, like when my hands were passing down by my hips. And so I had this coach that was like, he had just had enough of it. Like no drills, like no stroke change, no video, like nothing was changing it. I just could not figure it out. And so I had a coach that was like, let's just try to breathe to the side. Dana Vollmer, um, another amazing Olympic gold medalist swimmer, um, breathe to the side, um, at various different points in her career, she went back and forth. And so, um, he was like, let's just try it out. And so, um, I was actually swimming at the woodlands at the time where, where your husband, Eric coached (laughs) and we, um, we just tried it. And for me, it was something that worked immediately. Oh, wow. And it's, it's not that way for everybody by any means. Like I think stroke change, I'm sure as you can relate, like any small change you want to make, it takes lots of repetition, lots of practice. So, um, while it came decently easy for me, it definitely doesn't for everybody. And I always tell people like, just cause you breathe so side, it does not mean you're going to go to the Olympics. <laughs> it is not <laughs> like a one stop, one trick pony. Um, right. you know, so, um, I definitely took time to craft it, but for me, it just the way that I pull and push water, I need to say, and I kind of call, call it like the top quadrant of the water, the quadrant of the water. So say really, um, really shallow. So most butterflies kind of have more of like a dolphin, a little bit more um, like height above the water and under the water. And I actually stay fairly flat, similar as like kind of like a freestyle would look. And so for the side, it just kept me even flatter and really allowed me to get that breath a little bit earlier and also helped with my second kick. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was just something that worked for me. And when I do clinics and lessons with kids, I definitely like, try it out. It might not work. You might absolutely hate it. Um, and your coach might absolutely kill me for having you try it, but you know, every coach is different, but it might work for you. It might be something that is that, you know, quick fix and, and it might work and help you out with some things that, you know, you need to work on. Well, I love that because I think it's important to to try new things because sometimes people are like, no, it has to be done this way. And they're like very, very bullheaded about doing things a specific way. But sometimes when you kind of think outside the box and you try stuff, even if it doesn't work, you can sometimes go back and figure it out. Like it's just good to shake things up sometimes and kind of break free of like, you know, whatever rut you're in. Cause that's like you said, like no matter what I did, I wasn't changing. So it was worth a try. You know, I love that. I love that. Don't ever get stuck in like a specific way. Like it's okay to like break free and try new things for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, okay. So I want to kind of talk about college because a lot happened for you during your college time. And that's such, yeah. And well, college is such a like transformative time for people anyway. But I mean, a lot of times freshman year for athletes can be a really tough transition. Um, you know, and it's sometimes it's not until like sophomore or junior year that like you really see improvement or dramatic change, but you were like breaking school records your freshman year. Like that's, was that just super easy and you, you caught on to the environment? Like what was it? So I think for me, I attribute all of my success, you know, to, to Steven, to Nico while I was in school and, and, you know, Tracy, my freshman year too. And, and so I think for me, just the consistent training and what we were doing in the water really worked with me my freshman year. It was just, we did lots of kicking, which I had never done before. I actually had shoulder surgery the summer, the summer before my freshman year and in June. And so I actually didn't even compete. My first meet was in October um, at our invite. And I actually went like three best times. Wow. <laughs> so I only used my legs up into, I only was like vertical kicking or kicking kind of with a kickboard, you know, things like that. Not using my left shoulder um, up until about six weeks before invite, maybe eight weeks before invite. But really all of that kicking, um, I think really transitioned well into my stroke. And I tell people all the time, like, 
I think shoulder surgery might have been the, one of the best things that happened to my swimming career because yeah. I never focused on my kick. I, I mean, kick, people watch me growing my, you know, growing up and they do it. Kale's one of the worst kickers. And I did. I, when I got to AM, I was one of the worst kickers on the team. But by the time I left my senior year, you know, I was probably top five. I just knew that was an area that I had to buckle down and get better at. And so um, it was just something that taking that reset and only being able to kick, I think, transitioned really well to my stroke. So, yeah, I definitely swam well my freshman year during the college season. Uh, the summer after, which was kind of that make, make I, I thought it was at the time, make or break summer. Um, so it was the summer of 2011, right before the summer of 2012. And I swam absolutely terrible at nationals. Did not make the national team, like the travel team. I think I, I mean, I made the national, the top six like team, but didn't make any travel meets. And so really thought at that point, like my chances of making the Olympic team the next year are not awesome. Why, why do you think that was like, do you think it was like the pressure you put on it? Or I think it was a mix of things. I think part of it might've been the pressure. Part of it might have just been, um, long course is very different than short course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have always been more of a long course swimmer, And then obviously in college, spent more time on my short course stuff. And, and so for me, I don't know that it was just like not enough time doing long course. It was just kind of like a mix of things. Looking back, I wish I probably would have spent a little bit more time like analyzing that. Um, but you know, I was so young. I was like 19 years old, just trying to like make it through freshman year of college. I had never done that much training, that much yardage in my life. And so I think it was just kind of a mix of things. Still trying to figure out taper and all the things yeah. that go along, you know, with competition season. Well, and after a collegiate season too, because like there's so like when you're before you go to college, like there, there's just so many more meets in college that you're gearing up for. And like the, the pressure in college is to do well at certain competitions, not in the stuff postseason, you know? Right. Right. And so with swimming, at least you kind of have to be ready to go, obviously during season. And then you take a couple days off and you got to be ready to go again at the end of the summer in um, June or July. And so there's not in SECs and NCAAs is in March. So you really don't have a ton of turnaround time to, you know, fix the things that you need to fix and taper and then revamp and, and all the things that went along with that. So it was, it was an interesting freshman year for sure. I tell people all the time, like, yeah, you can pay me a million dollars to do it again. Um, <laughs> but you know, cause you forget it. You like forget you went best times. You forget yeah. you broke school records there for a minute because so much pressure was put on that summer after where I totally flopped and, um, really thought like a lot of my chances are, are gone. Well, I do want to touch real quick on the on the positive side to the beginning of that year where you were talking about how that shoulder surgery was such a good thing for you that it improved your kick and all that. And I've had the same thing. Like when I've been injured, it's forced me to work on either mental game or quality over quantity or something different that changed the way I ended up performing. And so I just want to encourage people, especially going through all this crazy corona lockdown times and where things are weird or you're handling injuries, like this is not always a fun, comfortable feeling to be in, but this is an opportunity. If you work on things outside of your normal box, like you will still continue to improve when you come back. It may not feel like it in the moment, but set your mind and know that like this could be a really transformative time for you in a good way. Oh, absolutely. And for me, like as I got older in the sport and, and learned a little bit more, I found that the better just athlete that I became on land, I actually transitioned to the water. So I spent more time, you know, doing cardio and working on my stability and balance and, you know, tuning into my core and what that felt like, which I had never done growing up. I mostly, you know, did the garbage yardage and the churn and burn and just go (laughs) for it. You know, I had never focused on those small little details. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that I definitely, when, as I got older and my body got older, I just couldn't continue to churn and burn. And I really had to reassess. And one of my favorite things about post-grad was, and swimming professionally was I wasn't in school. So I got to become a student of the sport of swimming. And that was my entire focus. And it was just so much fun for me to get to watch what other people did and, and see how they did things and then take it into my own practice. And so I've been preaching the same thing, Laura. Just, you know, I know right now, like, it seems horrible because you lose, like, your touch with the water so quickly. And I used to say, like, every day that I'm out of the water, it takes me three days to get back to where I was. And so for me, um, for somebody that's very type A, I'm 
chomping up, I'm telling up all those days. And then, you know, I'm, I'm saying, Oh, but time's up by three. And now I'm never going to get back to where I was. And I, I would really encourage people and especially like high school and college age kids to not think that way, to think about what you can do outside of the water, um, to make yourself better in the water. Cause a lot transfers over way more than you think. Totally. 100,000% agree with you on that. (laughs) Well, now, okay, I want to walk through your sophomore year and going into it because there's this thing called an Olympic waiver and they didn't have it back in my day. Um, That was like (laughs) not a thing you could do. So for those who don't know what it is, like a medical red shirt is when like if you get injured and you decide to not compete that season, you can actually get an extra year of eligibility where you can compete again. And an Olympic waiver is kind of the same thing, but for the year of the Olympics. And so a lot of people these days, because like we were talking about that collegiate season can be so hard and you're following that, trying to make the Olympic team and, and doing well at the Olympics, a lot of people take this Olympic waiver. So they're still at school training, but they're not competing that year. But you didn't do that your sophomore year. Like what, what did you ever, was that even a thought or kind of where was your head on that? It really, I never even thought about it. Never really crossed my mind to do the Olympic waiver. I think because you know, for me, I enjoyed meets. I enjoyed competing. It fueled me. And so for me, I I think I needed that. I needed the continual, like, get on, get up on the blocks when you're tired, get up on the blocks when you're not, you know, um, Oh, bad day. That's fine. You know, you had a pre-cal test. Cool. Like get up on the blocks. Um, and so for (laughs) me, I think that's just what I needed. I needed to figure out how to fight through. And so, and I never even questioned taking an Olympic year. I also just truly believe that it was an absolute privilege to swim for Texas A&M. And so I wanted to continue to do that. I didn't want to sit out a year. I love that. I love that attitude, a privilege to, to compete for them. That's so cool. Well, you obviously chose a good path. So what was different from your freshman year to this year? Because your sophomore year went great and obviously like trials went well, you made it to the Olympic Games. So what was different about that year? I think for me, I really knew that if I didn't kind of get it together that fall, it was, it was not happening that next summer. I think that that was... Although it was a rough summer after my freshman year in 2011, it was the perfect wake-up call I needed to kind of say, all right, Kim, you got to get it together. And so, um, you know, I just doubled down. I spent more time on the cardio. Also, a freshman, there is so much that you have to learn. You have to figure out. Everything is new. Whereas my sophomore year, like, I knew what to expect. I knew what classes were going to be hard. Like, it just, I had a little bit more of a game plan going in. And so I was just a little bit better able to prepare. I knew, you know all the different things. I spent a little bit more time on nutrition and, and cardio outside of the pool for sure. And, um, was able to put that back into my practice. And so actually January, uh, 2012, I dropped like three seconds at a random long course meet, um, or two, almost three seconds at a random long course meet and went from being, you know, that fifth or sixth in the country from the summer before to being first. And so that was really the jump for me. Um, It was actually at the University of Texas pool. And so it's super, I have the pool record there for the tuner butterfly. And then Tamika Jamison has the hundred fly. And so it's it's real, it's really, it's been really cool. Um, We have a picture of it together. Uh, So so yeah, just super, I mean, super fun. And so um, for me, I think that was really kind of like my breakout meet. I needed that like level of confidence boost um, going into that summer. And that's kind of, that's exactly what I got. So I still didn't win SECs that year or NCAAs that year. We were still in the Big 12 at that time. I was second. I think Katinka Hosu won that year. She won my freshman and my sophomore year. And then, uh, yeah. So fast forward to the summer of 2012. Yeah. So walk us through the trials there. Cause I know that yeah. trials was uh, a little up and down. So kind of walk us through that. Yeah. So I went from January till then being first or second in the Turner butterfly really had a pretty decent shot at making the team. So I tried not to overplay it, not to underplay it, you know, really just try to stay as uh, level-headed as I can. So Steve, again, is amazing and talks a lot about not letting the highs be too high and the lows be too low. Ooh, I like that. And within life and within sport. And so it's okay to get excited or bummed about things, but you can't stay there. So whenever, like, you know, you make an Olympic team, awesome, like have your moment, but you got to refocus because you have something, you have another goal, you have something else that's next. And then on the flip side, you know, when you don't like my summer of 2011, where it wasn't great, I couldn't insult them. I had to not let the lows be too low and really reevaluate. And so it's actually been really fun. 
um, seeing the, the parallels to not owning my own business, which I'm sure we'll talk about later <laughs> with that same like life motto, the highs and the lows. And so, um, just kind Sport, of sports are very applicable for for life outside yes, the pool, the pool really or the arena. Yes, <laughs> and everyone always used to tell me that, and I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> um, but it is so true. So I, you know, just tried to stay really, you know, level headed and keel through through the trials. Ended up, you know. Um, making the Olympic team that year. And most other Olympians as well, like, like make a world universities team or a pan team or, um, different levels of meets up before the Olympic games, like world championships. And I didn't make anything because the summer before I fell flat on my face. And so oh. I showed up and one of my favorite memories of 2012, I remember sitting at a dinner table and there was like Michael Phelps and Natalie Coughlin and Rebecca Sony. And I remember just looking at that table and being like, one of these is not like the other. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't fit in here. And so going through training camp and going through the games, um, again, talking about that tribe, I was really fortunate to make the event, make the team with Kathleen Hersey, the other Turner Butterflyer in 2012, who is just one of like the best people and she saw like me kind of waver and she took me aside and she was like Camille you belong here you, you made the team and you need to remember that this is where you're supposed to be you do deserve a seat at the table and so she she there's like moments throughout my career that I remember when like we talked about earlier people spoke that truth into me and that is one time that just shouts and stands out and there's another one and I'm sure I'll tell you that story in a minute but so she took me aside and I was like, you know what? Like, you're right. Why did you start swimming? And I was like, well, cause it was fun. And she was like, we, I want to do something fun to remind ourselves why we're here and why we do this. And so she ordered these like crazy American flag socks. So if you Google my name, you'll see me in my A&M sneakers and these crazy American flag knee high socks walking <laughs> out to the blocks in 2012. And I remember putting them on being like, I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life. But you know, it's so silly and I look absolutely ridiculous, but I don't regret it because it reminded me, you know, of it reminds me. So when I look at that picture, I think of Kathleen, it makes me so happy. And, um, it reminded me to continue to find those people that, that speak that truth and that life into you. And that's exactly what I needed in that moment. So I ended up getting fifth at the Olympic games. It's, it was the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life. Even Rio, um, London, the final was the most nervous. My feet couldn't even sit flat on the ground. I had to stand up because they were shaking so bad. I was like shaking the whole bench. <laughs> I was like that girl. Did you um, have any of those feelings in like the, pre the prelims or the semis or anything? No, not at all, which is crazy because I was like, I am just here. I'm going to do the best I can, obviously, but I will just be happy to make it through to the final. And then literally I was like past the point of wanting to throw up or like, wow. like, oh my God, I was so nervous. I wanted to throw up. I was like, oh no, I was past that point. Like I couldn't even throw up if I wanted to. Oh. Um, so ended up getting fifth and was so stoked just to have made it back and, and just had a lot of fun with it. Again, the socks and just um, <laughs> tried to, tried to soak in as much as I could. Right. That was my first national team meet, my first national team experience. And so I really just wanted to sit around and watch what other people did and just be that like listener and just soak it all in. That's cool. Well, I mean, it sounds like you did. I mean, you, you okay. So you have this incredible Olympic experience on your summer vacation, basically yeah, from college right. and you go right back that fall to your junior year, like at school competing, all of those things. And the big, it changed from big 12 to the SEC, SEC. conference. So like, which <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you go back and like how, you know, were people different to you? Was the experience different or was it just kind of like, well, that was a great fun summer camp and now I'm back to do my thing. Like what, what was your headspace like? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. Um, to be honest, my junior year was rough. I was in lots of counseling when people talk about like the post-Olympic lull. It was, it was really real for me. Um, there were days that I would just get Shipley's donuts and lay in bed. Um, I actually had to get a note, like I went and saw a therapist and had to get a note from a therapist to like, excuse me from class. Cause I literally couldn't go. And it was probably one of the darkest moments in my life to this point. And, you know, getting, getting through that was not, not easy, especially that fall semester. I remember just being like, 
I mean, I'm done. Like I did everything I've ever wanted to do with another sport and like, I have nothing to live for. And it was a very, you know, looking back, it was, it was like narrow minded and hyper focused, um, and hyper intensified, you know? And so now I think I'm, I'm, it made me realize to be very aware of my emotions and, and of things when we hit those high moments of like in Olympic games, because then, you know, there were other times where, you know, Steve was like, okay, Cam, like, I know you don't want to come, but you got to get back to practice. I'm like, yeah, 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 bro. Like I just can't today. And, you know, and so he was very much like, okay, you come back and we're going to pick up where we left off. And he, you know, it didn't happen right away for me. It was definitely like a gradual thing. Um, but you know, I got, I got back to, I got back there and I, I actually came back from my Olympic games and still was not on the full ride. And I think, um, that just speaks, Steve believes in spreading out the scholarships and, you know, how trying to put together the best possible team that he can. And so people tell me all the time, like, well, you had college paid for it. And I'm like, I mean, I had most of it. Don't get me wrong. I had most of it paid for it, but I came back from my first Olympic games, not on a full ride, just so you know. <laughs> wow. Um, which I think it was really cool for me. You know, he, he's very much about team and it taught me about team and, and it was just a cool experience. So yeah, junior year was rough, especially that fall semester. Um, when I want to touch on that, yeah. like, yeah, because that's, that is a very real thing. We've had other people talk about it on this podcast too, that whether, and I, I have won and I have lost and I've had the same experience afterward. And it's, it's the, the good thing is after you've done it the first time, you know, it's coming, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but it's, it's a scary thing. If you don't know it's coming, it just kind of sideswipes you into this massive depression. And it's, oh, it's you know, when you absolutely get terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, when you get into that place, you you get very you isolate yourself, and it's it's hard because if people aren't checking on you, it can be a very dangerous thing to spiral into. And so I think that's just really important to make people aware of those things. And it's it's because it's just this long period of time where you are putting your whole life, all your dreams, all this work, dedication for this one moment, and then it's over, good or bad. Everything you worked for is over, and it's kind of like it's kind of like this coming to Jesus moment where you have to say, okay, like what's my purpose here? What's the point in right. life? Like you have all these almost like end of life kind of thoughts. It's a weird, yeah, it's very weird that you're wondering what your whole purpose and being is. And um, yeah, I think it's really important to make sure you have, you know, wise counsel around you, whether it's coach or family or, but somebody that you can talk to about it and that will listen to you because it's very real stuff. Oh yeah. It was, it was a rough time. Yeah. <laughs> I also wish not to go back to that place, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I learned a lot. It definitely prepared me. Like you said, for 2016, no, I hadn't, like I said, never been on a national team. No one had warned me that that feeling was coming. Mm -hmm. I just like got back home and got off the, the plane. And remember it just, I, it was, I was okay for like a month. I think after, you know, like everyone's excited to see you, you have parties, you go to news stations, you, you tour around and you give everybody hugs and say, thank you like for the support. And, you know, you do that, you do all that for a little while. And then all of a sudden, like real life is back and you're like, wait a minute. Like <laughs> I went to summer camp. Like I didn't go to Olympics. I went to summer camp, you know, that's <laughs> what it felt like. And cause it was just all gone. So yeah, it was, it was a rough transition for sure. Well, okay. So I, and I know you love to talk about the balance, like having a balance and a life outside of the pool in order to have success in the pool. So coming back to that kind of reality and where swimming was like kind of your 24 seven, you know, how did you make that adjustment? Like, how did you get back on track and kind of walk through all that? Yeah, it definitely took me some time. Um, my junior year, especially, I just found some friends that were outside of the sport. So whether, you know, it was like people in my classes or other organizations, I joined a couple other things on campus and just tried to, like you said, like be a regular person and just balance my life back out. Um, you know, at that point, my junior, my junior year, I didn't live with all of my roommates were not swimmers because my, the three girls that I were living with, one was not a swimmer. The other two had um, retired that year. And so it was great for me just to get a little bit of perspective, um, for some from people. And I could just kind of leave work at work, leave the pool at the pool and, and come home and see a little bit of the outside world, I guess. And so it was that like perspective I needed, I think for sure, just having to, to rebalance things back out. It looked much different in 2016, obviously got married that, that year and all those crazy things, which I'm sure we'll get to, but 
I definitely had to figure out what balance looked like at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even though you kind of hit that wall and, and, and went through all that kind of post-Olympic blues stuff, I mean, you, you kind of came back and dominated. You won like back-to-back NCAA titles and the 200 fly your junior and senior year. I mean, what was it an easy choice at that point to say, yeah, I'm going pro now. I mean, what was that transition like? Yeah, I think after 2012, I knew I would swim four more years because it was only, you know, I took like half of the fifth year. So I was really only swimming like 18 months past, uh, you know, whenever I finished school. So it wasn't like I was going to swim like five more years or whatever. So um, for me, I knew I was going to, I was going to continue swimming. I um, actually went up to Charlotte, North Carolina in 2013, the summer of 2013 and the summer of 2014 to train with David Marsh up there. I wanted to um, just get a little bit of something different and um, not that College Station isn't great and wonderful, but have a little <laughs> bit more of a city to live in mm-hmm. and um, swim with other professionals, just to be honest. I The college team was the college team and I just wanted to do something a little bit different. I remember... I, you know, had asked Steve if that would be okay. And he was like, of course, you know, like no problem. And so we went up there those two summers. And then I remember telling him that I was going to go permanently in January of 2015. And it was the hardest conversation because like, it wasn't, we ended on, we didn't end on bad terms. It was like, I felt like I was like disappointing him by leaving. I just needed something different at that point in my career. I just needed like some different training and, and just to mix it up. And it wasn't fair to ask them to change things, you know, cause the call sheet needed to be a call sheet. And so, um, I just needed to, needed to get a little bit of a different perspective and switch some things up. And so, um, I ended up moving in January, 2015 up to Charlotte, North Carolina and spent my last like 20 months up there, um, with David Marsh and Bob Gross, Bob Grosseth learned a lot about the person that I wanted to be. And for me, it was so, I got way more than, than I thought I'd ever learn in, in Charlotte, but I'm very grateful for the opportunity to get to swim professionally, you know, they, such a small portion of um, swimmers make it to the Olympics and then an even smaller portion of them get to swim professionally. And though, while I didn't make tons of money doing it, I had enough money to live on. I didn't have to work, which also is, you know, such a small amount of people and just really grateful for that experience for sure. I got to, again, become like that student of the sport and got to watch. I lived with um, the amazing Katie Miley and she is just one of my all-time favorite people. So even though I'm not a breaststroker, it's actually my worst stroke. I would study her and I would watch her and I would watch her stroke and I would try to put it what she does well into my stroke and and those sorts of things. Same with like Kirsty Coventry, you know, she'd been to five, that she ended up five Olympic games. And so to get to train with her, she's also, you know, turn her back stroke. Um, hundred junior backstroke. So she's also kind of trained more on the distance side of things. And so we did a lot of training together and she is one of the like most genuine people and truly just wanted each person on the team to succeed. So it was just really cool getting to train with, with her every day. And it was just, you know, there was like 14 or 15 Olympians. And so just completely different experience getting ready for 2016 than it was for 2012. Oh yeah. Completely different. Well, what, was that a hard transition kind of mentally? Because some athletes have trouble transitioning from when your sport is kind of fun and it's a little more carefree, then all of a sudden it becomes like this job. Even if you're not getting a lot of money, it is your job and that's how you're affording to do it. <laughs> you know, like, right, did right. you did you have a struggle at all in that? Or were you just like, woohoo, this is awesome? <laughs> no, it was a very large adjustment. I think if I was in College Station, not much would have changed. And that's what I feared, to be honest. I needed that this is going to rock your socks. Like you are putting all your eggs in one basket, like walk the plank kind of thing. And that's exactly what I got. And I just needed that. I think to grow, not only as a swimmer, but as a person, I needed that like roundhouse kick in the face, grow up. (laughs) And that's what I got for sure. Um, so it was definitely different. I mean, we always had like start times for practice in Charlotte, never in time. So because it was my job. And so, you know, I always knew what time I'd get there. Some days I'd stay 30 minutes and some days I'd stay four or five hours, you know, um, cause you didn't really have anywhere else to be right. You didn't have class to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just completely different, but, but, you know, like, like I said before, like so grateful. And, and I got to build again, my team of people, like 
um, hired my own like weight trainer there out there. And I actually had other, um, my sister's actually husband now was living up in Charlotte working at the time, crazy small world. So it was cool to be able to like meet people outside of the team as well and get that a little bit of life balance, um, up there too. That's so. cool. Well, I mean, it seemed to work out well. You won Pan Packs in 2014. You got a Silver Worlds in 2015. Like, it seemed like you were totally on track for 2016 to just be magical. I mean, was that kind of the feeling of it or were there a lot of bumps in the road? I think a, bit, a little mix of both, if I'm honest. You know, Pan Packs in 2014 swam in the freezing cold pouring down rain. Um, not a single person in the stands. Nick Thoman was the only person in the stands because he was done swimming. And, uh, yeah, it was just like not, we got on and off the blocks like three different times and it was really just like a roll of the dice. Like what's going to happen at that one. Um, an outdoor meet was, was not the greatest choice for that one. Super fun. Um, and then, you know, worlds in 2015, probably, my favorite race to date. It was really cool for me to obviously win, win a medal there. And I stuck to my race strategy and stuck to my race plan. Um, I was also voted a captain of the team for that meet. And so it was just so cool for me, Laura, to go from one of these is not like the others sitting at that table to then being seen as a leader within Team USA just three years later and really showing how like how much growth I had made, not only in the sport, but also personally. And that people saw me as like, a, you know, someone that they could like look up to and, and things like that. And so 2015 was just a really, it's, it was a really special summer for me. And, and like I swam well, so all the cards were just aligned. Well, I love that you keep bringing it back to like how much you're growing as a person through this whole process. And you know, it, we, it's hard to recognize that when you're in the middle of it, but I love that even just a handful of years later, like you can already see like where all of those things came from. I think that's so cool. Yeah. So walk us through 2016 trials because I don't think it kind of went initially <laughs> how you thought it was going to go. So tell us what happened there. Yeah, so have PTSD, no, I'm just um, <laughs> But so I got to trials. I actually didn't even do a full taper. And I mentioned taper earlier, but for those that aren't swimmers and don't know don't know taper, it's where you kind of your practices get easier. So in swimming, your practices don't get harder, you don't lift more weight like going up to your final meet. Your practices get easier so that you have more energy and, and those sort of things to to swim your best. And so I actually didn't even do a full taper for 2016 because I was had been the top tuner butterfly for five years at that point, it was pretty confident you know, that I was going to make the team. So didn't do, didn't do a full rest or anything like that. So went in, swam my prelim race. It was like, okay, you know, just like shake off the cobwebs of travel and whatnot. And how it works at our trials is you do your race and then you get out and you go through a mixed zone of media where they, you know, ask you questions and whatnot right after your race. And then you go warm down and, and whatever, go on about your day. And, um, so I'm sitting there, I'm like waiting for the NBC lady and she's like, Oh, like good race cam. And I'm like, Hey, so good to see you again. You know, thank you so much. And we're just like hanging out. And she's like, sorry, like these results are taking forever. They're having like technical difficulties. I'm like, Oh, no worries. And so we're like waiting and she's like, you know, how's your sister? How's your fiance? You know, we're just like literally just talking mm -hmm. and like girlfriends catching up. And then all of a sudden she puts the mic in my face and she's like, so how does it feel to get disqualified? I had no idea. And I remember being like, uh, so I turned around and I looked at the scoreboard and I just left the interview. I just walked off. Oh my goodness. Um, no, like, sorry. No, like, uh, you know, nothing. I just walked straight through the mix zone, didn't stop for another person. My dad, like, is, was a swim coach, still is. And so he actually had a death pass. So he was on the death. He found me and he was like, it's cool. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. I was like hysterical. Um, okay. Obviously, you know, you train your entire life for this and then it's gone within seconds. And right. um, especially after you thought it went fine, you know, like that's just so shocking. I had no idea. Yeah. So speed up the story a bit. Um, at this level of our sport, there's underwater video, just like in football, you have like video review, like play review. Mm -hmm. um, same thing. So we had that underwater video. And then on one of my, I think it was my third turn, um, going into the last 50, the the judge had said, the official had said that I was too far over on my back, which you have to be more on your stomach than on your back. So I was like past that 90 degrees. And so he had, you know, disqualified me, but they reviewed the video and, and overturned it. Um, the longest eight minutes of both me and my I was just going to ask how long it never took. Let me forget. <laughs> eight minutes. Um, oh. She'll never let me forget it. Um, 
So I ended up like they overturned it. I remember looking in and we were in this like small little closet because God forbid, like they put it in the real room where like someone can actually breathe when they're trying to look <laughs> at like this. But I remember just like feeling like all the air was being sucked out of that room and I could not even stand up or like I was like crouched down. And, um, and I remember being like, no, Camille, like if you did this, you need to look at this and you need to know because you will regret it for the rest of your life if you don't. And so we replayed the video like three times and, um, you know, it was a unanimous decision between like the head official and, you know, everybody that it was a bad call and they overturned it. And so, um, so yeah, so we did that. I went and warmed down and had a real good cry fest in the pool. Oh and got- so yeah. How much, how much time was there before like the, was it, was there semi heat too, or is it just straight to finals from there? No. So there's a semi. So how it works is there's a prelims, um, prelims in the morning, semis that night, and then finals the following night. I had semis to go that night. And so I went and warmed down, blah, blah, blah. Like, um, I don't even know if I saw the rest of my family before that. Like, my mother-in-law-to-be was there. Like, my husband now is there. Like, it was just, oh my gosh, such a mess. So I went and, like, went and laid down and was just could not, like, pull myself together. And, you know, random outbreak of tears when I would, like, get together and then a random outbreak of tears. And, you know, just, like, the emotional high. Yeah. Like, I needed that Steve Boltman in my head being like, don't let the highs or the lows get too extreme. <laughs> like, I needed that. And, um, but instead I got Allison Schmidt and she texted me and said, hey, Cam, what room are you in? She knew we were in the same hotel. And she, I told her and she came up to the room. And, of course, I opened the door and, like, all emotion just like floods out of me. Just, I actually had done quite a bit of training with her leading into the games. Um, and she was one of my best friends and still is. And so I remember her and she grabbed me by the face and she put both of one hand on each side of my cheeks. And she's like, Camille, I want you to get a really good cry. I want you to take a hot shower and then you're going to put your big girl panties on and you're going to get over this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and she was like, because she had made the team the night before and she was like, I made the team and I'm not going without you. So you need to grow up and get over this. And I was like, again, going back to that tribe and what you need to hear in the moments that you needed to hear it. Allison knew that I needed that. You know, she knew she needed to come and she knew she needed to save the day. And I'll be forever grateful. I still tell her all the time. And so that's what I did. I took a hot shower. I like rested. I don't, I couldn't remember if I actually like went to sleep. If, if you like people that know me, call me like the, hibernator because I'm like known for the amount of, I'm like a huge advocate of sleep and one of those free bodies still to this day, even though I'm not training, you know, and, um, I couldn't really sleep or relax. Ended up having like a decent semi swim, like nothing to write home about made the, made the team the next night and was just, it was like a whirlwind for sure. Um, of a trial is it, it was one of the things that led me straight into retirement. Um, <laughs> tell you the last two, uh, when we talk about Rio, but, um, just a really cool, I actually ended up my last race at trials in 2016. I decided I wanted to swim. I had made the turner back cut. And so, um, I wasn't going to swim it really. It was like one of those things you like enter it just in case, whatever, just for fun. And, um, I ended up, I was like, you know what? I want to end this meet. Not like, Oh my gosh, like the, the whirlwind that it was, but I want to end it like, again, like going back to like having fun and all the backstrokers kept talking about like, when you swim backstroke, you can see yourself on the jumbotron because there's <laughs> a giant like eight sided screen uh-huh. in the middle of the pool on the ceiling. And so, um, like you've seen like a basketball arena. And so I remember being like, I'm going to swim the turner backstroke and I'm going to look for myself and see how many times I can see myself and smile at myself on the big screen. And that was my last race at, at, at 2016 trials. And it was just like, I just wanted to have fun. And that's what I did. Oh, that's so cool. So did you smile? Did you give yourself a real good wink there? A real good. Wink. I might've even waved up. Like, you know, what, like, what are you doing? I'm like, you know what? Like, I got to get myself in the right headspace going into the next month. And this is just one step in the right direction. I love it. I love it. You be, you do you, right? <laughs> well, and so here we go. You're, you're on the 2016 team and you were named team captain again. Yeah. Like how that had to be such a cool moment. Like, do they yeah. vote on that right there? How did that work? Yeah. So you vote like during the training camp. I can't remember when it is. It's probably always different. Whoever it's probably like whenever the coaches think about it, um, to be honest, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we, uh, I was voted along with Allison Schmidt and then my other bestie, Elizabeth Beisel. So the three amigos, um, and we all three did lots of like training and, and competing together, um, the quad leading up to that games. And Elizabeth and I were pretty sure that was going to be our last one. I mean, I, 
thought about maybe continuing, but was like pretty, pretty done to be honest. And especially after trials and Allison didn't know if she was going to continue or whatever. So the three of us, it was just a really like special experience to have all together. And, and we were sitting at, um, the hotel like before training camp and we were like we're not getting on that plane to go to training camp unless the three of us can room together <laughs> and i remember the, the manager was like because it's a big thing within usa something on the women's side that you only get one roommate because otherwise you'll stay up all night long talking and giggling and nobody will get any sleep <laughs> and and so the three of us like we were like advocating so that we could all be together and we we're like we will share about it we don't even care they were like girls you're not that's not happening and so they ended up getting us like two rooms that had a door like an adjoining door so that we could all be together <laughs> and, and we still giggled and stayed up probably way too late but it was just like some of my favorite like swimming memories are are from that like six weeks month you know leading between the trials and, and the olympic team it was or the olympic games it was just a really fun and special experience for, for the three of us to have together that is really cool walk us through walk us through rio so much different than London, obviously, you know, I was voted as a team captain and seen, you know, as a veteran or a leader on the team, which is just crazy. And um, so just get down to Rio and it's, we knew it was going to be different. Um, just being in a third world country, we had warned ourselves, like, it just wasn't going to be like it was in London. So I pretty much ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every single day. The food court didn't really have their stuff together. Um that's a bummer. That's usually, it's usually awesome. It was such a bummer. You would have been so bummed. Um, yeah. So just completely different in London, you know, you could leave the village and easily get to like USA house. We didn't ever even get there. Cause it was like a three hour commute. Yeah. It was far. We Ubered it. It was like an hour in an Uber. It was crazy. Yeah. So yeah. far. And it just like, it also took forever to leave the village. Like just to get out of the village was like an hour from where the USA like dorms were or wherever we stayed. And so Jeez. just different experience, completely yeah. different. And so yeah, ended up, um, so had a decent pain on swim. My semi swim was horrible. I don't, I still to this day, like, don't know what it was just some days. Like I just think that it's just not all there. You know, you don't really know why. And as frustrating as it is, I just think it's one of those ways, like God teaches you to deal with adversity. You just, there might, you might not always know the reason and you have to, you have to sit on that. And that's kind of where I was with my semi swim. And so <laughs> I went to the warm down pool after my semi swim and I knew I was like on the brink of making the final. Like I was just on the cusp if I was going to make it into the top eight. And, um, I'm sitting there with Michael Phelps and he, so he trains a lot with Allison Schmidt and, um, or had been training a lot with Allison. And so I'd done some training with Michael and I remember I was just sitting there like freaking out and he was like, yeah, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And I was like, oh my God, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> and he like, so they like put the results up and I was eight by like point three or like point oh. two. It was like I barely squeezed into the final. And I gave Michael like this huge hug, like rat we were both saying pull like bear hugged him. And I remember him like, oh my god, I just like crazy hugged Michael Phelps. Like, um, and you know, I was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. He's like, no girl, you are fine. Like, he was like, I'm so done for you. It was like really sweet. You know, he like tried to give me a pep talk and like wine lane eight was awesome. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so ended up, um, getting in, so barely squeaking in. So between the DPO trials and barely making into the finals, have the finals race that night. And, um, my goggles actually broke while I was like stepping onto the blocks. What? So yeah, it was like most of the TV missed it, but, um, so I actually just like sat back down I took, I wear two caps. So I took my top cap off. And at that point, like I'm looking around for my basket girl and she's like long gone, um, which has my extra pair of goggles in, in that basket. And, so I just tied the side of my goggles and put it back on, put my top cap back on, got up on the blocks. And I remember I was like shaking because, you know, like that's not supposed to happen. Like you're just, it just threw me for a loop. And so I remember like the whole first 50 of my race just being like, Camille, just like relax, just relax, just relax. Cause I didn't want to go out too fast. If anybody's ever watched me swim, you know, my, my race strategy is very different. You are a come from behind um, kind of girl. Yes, I am. I am a back half for sure. Back half is the best half. So, <laughs> um, yeah, a little negative split action all the time. So I, um, yeah, came back 
it had actually one of the slowest first fifties of my life and still won a best time um, in the Olympic final. So it did up fourth, which obviously not where I wanted to be. It was totally bummed to be completely honest. I remember NBC didn't even ask me for an interview. They're like, Oh, you're good. You can keep walking. And I remember being like, this uh, sucks. Like yeah. this sucks. And like, just like food for thought NBC, like just give the girl the interview. Don't even roll the camera, but just like, yeah, let her have her moment for thoughts. Like, not yeah. really like this is just not where I wanted to be. And there was like so many doping scandals in Rio. I felt like more than normal. And so it was just like not nowhere compared to where London was. So it was like some great, like highlight memories, like, you know, things that were so wonderful. And then there was other parts of the experience that were just absolutely horrible. And I think that's like, just so good. And it taught me a lot about now, like, owning my own business like there are moments that are great and wonderful and then there are moments where you're like this is scrubbing this toilet this is not what I thought my own business would be like and you know it like really humbles you and so I remember getting out of that race and I went and I found my family afterwards and I remember just like hugging my dad and like crying and being like I don't want to be done like I don't want to be done and he was like you don't have to be done Camille like keep swimming and I was like I just want to keep swimming I just want like I'm not ready like give me another race. Like I'll sit back on the blocks right now. And I had to tell myself like, you know, you don't get that. Like you don't, you, you can't get back up. Like you're done. That was it. And you know, you can swim four more years and you can try this again, but for today, honey, this is it. And it was such a hard like lesson for me, I think. And just like going through that and really having to grow like straight from within yourself and you know, getting, getting really just relying on me, um, to kind of like talk me through that. And, and so I was very nervous about obviously like from the post Olympic lull in 2012. <laughs> so mm-hmm. coming into Rio, I was very hyper aware. All my, my tribe was hyper aware of it. And I actually, no lie, got off the plane from Rio at like, like 6 PM and was in the classroom in school the next day teaching. Um, there was news cameras Whoa. at the school. Um, I still had to do my student teaching in order to graduate. It just never, like, obviously student teaching, you are, like, the teacher in the classroom, right? So that just, like, didn't work with um, trying to train for Olympic Games. And so, or even in civil A, really. And so I, I decided to wait that last credit until after um, I, like, delayed uh, graduate. Uh, graduation until after um, Rio. And so I got home and uh, got into a classroom the next day. And it was honestly exactly what I needed. And I am so thankful that I did it. I had the best mentor teacher I could ever ask for. And she was like, yeah, yeah, you went to Olympics, but like, let's teach some kids. <laughs> it was just like the perfect life balance that I needed. I got married that October and decided I wasn't going to make a decision until January or, you know, December. I did didn't want to like come back and say, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm getting back in the water. I just wanted to get married and enjoy being married for a couple of weeks and then, you know, decide what we were going to do. Cause now it's not a me decision. It's a we decision. I decided that I was ready to be done. I really did not between, between trials and semis and the goggle tying and getting forth. I was just like ready to be done. So I'm um, ready to move on with whatever life had next for me. And, and so I taught in the public school system for two years. I taught one year in, um, Cypher ISD and then a year in Houston ISD at an inner city school and um, enjoyed like teaching, did not enjoy like the politics and the paperwork, um, but I loved kids. So in May of 2018, my husband and I actually purchased what I do now, which is swim school. So um, I have my absolute dream job. I have teaching and swimming merged into one, and it is so fun. Um, it's definitely, I, I feel like I change lives every day. Um, one of our taglines is like teaching, you know, people the life skill of swimming. And, and it really is a life skill. You know, it's so much more than just like soccer or gymnastics or like baseball. You know, you're teaching somebody a skill that they everybody needs to survive. And so for me, it's like so much more than just a sport now um but it's like so good to teach and so it has all those things together and I mostly employ you know high school and college age females and so um I hire guys too but you know most of the time when you work with kids you end up with females and so um you know it's cool for me just to be a mentor I think for them and um you know kind of show them I think a lot of high schoolers like I have to work like a nine-to-five job and 
I'm never, you know, I'm never like, I'm never going to be happy with like what I do for work. And I, this is my dream job. And I had it at, you know, 27 years old and you know, you can do that. You just have to figure out what it is and not be afraid to go after that. And that's what I'm doing now. And, um, I honestly can't imagine ever doing anything else. I love it. Safe Splash Swim School, right? Is it safesplash.com? Yep. Yep. We're at safesplash.com. So I have six locations and gyms around Houston, um, which is the perfect way to buy the business. So all of my gyms are a percentage of revenue-based rent. And so what that means is I make no revenue. I don't pay no rent. I don't pay any rent. And so I don't pay during, no rent. Don't pay no rent. <laughs> and so during COVID, um, it was such a blessing. It's not I don't have really any fixed costs. Um, That's awesome. And so it was perfect. And so we actually just finished building our dedicated facility in Katy, Texas. And so I do have one standalone location out here right now. And I still have my six hosts open. And so it was just great for me being a young business owner, learning the product and, you know, learning what type of staff I want to hire without having all the added costs necessarily. And so it was just a great way for us to buy the business and really learn. And and now we're going to put our big girl panties on and and have our (laughs) own pool. So it's been really exciting. And then I'll open in January. So we just finished construction here. So yeah, big things, big things. That's super, super exciting. One, I love that you can continue to show people like that your passions and your sport that you love, like those can all be combined in the end. And like you can do really cool things with that afterward. You know what I mean? Like, so I I love that. I love seeing what, what direction people take after they're done. That's so cool. Well, If you could give one piece of advice, and I know this could be really hard because you have a lot, but if you could give one piece of advice to the young athletes out there listening, what would it be? Bob Bowman, Michael Phelps' coach and Allison Smith's coach, writes a like a quote or an inspirational something on the bottom of every single one of his practices. And when I was out there training with him and Allison one day, he had on the bottom of his practice, um, if you fail to prepare you are preparing to fail. So I'll say that again. So if you fail to prepare, you're preparing to fail. And it has stuck with me still, obviously, to this day. And so whether it's in sport and preparing for a meet or preparing in school for a test, or even now I know like if I don't prep dinner in the morning, I'm going to end up driving through Chick-fil-A at night and I'm going to hate myself. <laughs> so if you don't, you know, if you, if you fail to prepare, you're just preparing yourself to fail. And so for me, that is like a statement that I live by. And I'm also very type A because I'm sure you, you hear through me with my voice. But um, for me, that's just something that has really like resonated with me and just the preparation and, and goal setting and everything that kind of goes, goes in there together. Um, so that is, that's my nugget of advice for people. Mm, I like it though. I like it. Well, where can we connect with you online if we want to just follow your adventures or if we want to connect with you and ask you questions? Yeah. So you can hit up my Instagram, which is Camille Adams and Camille is with two M's and one L. Thanks mom and dad. Um, (laughs) And actually funny story with that. So um, when we were born, we, my sister and I, we were about eight weeks early. And so when they came around to fill out your birth certificates, my dad didn't know how to spell Camille and he just guessed and it's actually spelled wrong. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so every other Camille awesome. you will ever meet is two L's and one M minus two M's and one L and then Adams. You are extra special that way. Extra special. So just Camille Adams on Instagram. You can shoot me a DM. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to link to all that and safesplash.com in the show notes so people can go directly there. But Camille, thank you so much for joining us today and really just sharing your joy and all of your wisdom and experiences with us throughout your journey. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was such a blast to reconnect with you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.